Welcome to Sea Time, everybody, the off-road show that brings you all the results, news, and online shenanigans that make being online a good time. We'd like to say thank you to Fly Racing for their support of Sea Time. Please go check them out at flyracing.com. Welcome to Seat Time, everybody. Brian Pierce here, your typical host, loving to sit in and talk about all the fun off-road racing that we've had going on throughout the nation. Uh, not too much stuff. Obviously, there's things like Alex Salvini, if you want to get into the world enduro circuit, unfortunately breaking his collarbone. But that's typically not news for this show. If we could get him on, we would. But... We love to talk to all of our local boys, and I say local because they're Americans, and Americans are kicking ass in this country while we're racing dirt bikes, and that's fun. We'll take some of the uh, the Euros, too. They're all right. You know, the Aussies, they put up with us. But seat time. So what is seat time? Seat time is the online show for the off-road enthusiast. If you enjoy riding a dirt bike, you watch your son ride a dirt bike, you watch your, your daughter ride a dirt bike, if you just remember how much fun it was to just lay back on the throttle, riding on two wheels, maybe on the dirt, possibly every, and every now and again on the street, Legally, um, then this is definitely the show for you. Um, we, do, I do want to say it is craft beer week. So to any and all of you out there enjoying a beer while we're doing this show, I salute you because you should be. Um, and to give, uh, what's the word? To be like, awesome job, guys, for making good craft beer. I want to say congrats to the guys over at Omission. That is what I am drinking tonight. They're pale ale. Um, it's it's the good stuff. You, you just got to have fun with it. So. Bam. There you go. That's what you should be drinking. You should be having some gluten-free beer like I am. Um, so seat time. You can definitely find um, all of the sites, if you're not catching us live, all the episodes on the site. So at seattime.co. Um, we are on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. All of those kinds of fun things. You can search for seat time, and you'll find us any of those ways. Um, but if you do want to catch archives of the show, again, uh, of course, they'll be on the site. YouTube is a good way to do it. You can subscribe to us there on YouTube or on Stitcher and iTunes is a great way if you're just looking for audio. I know a lot of people driving to and from work, maybe sometimes while they're at work, or uh, I guess if you're hiding in the back of the classroom while you're in class and you're pretending to be actually be there doing something useful, but you just want to waste time with podcasts, this is the podcast to waste your time on. Listen to Seat Time. We want to, we want uh, everybody out there to have fun and enjoy the show with us. So again, it's Craft Beer Week. If you're not cracking open a beer or if you, and if you're legally able to do so, please, uh, do that and enjoy it with us. Of course, we would not be here without our great supporters, uh, guys over at Fly Racing, which we will be giving another award away through the chat room. I'm going to go over that in a little bit. Um, the guys over at Stillwell Performance, great way to get yourself suspended awesomely. Um, and have your dirt bike rocking and kicking ass on all the rocks, roots, and trees that we run through in there. Um, and tonight we welcome a new sponsor, the guys over at Dirt Tricks. Uh, super excited to have those guys on board and supporting the show and supporting all of you off-road racers, which they've obviously been supporting the off-road racers uh, for a very, very long time, since 2002 when they got started. Um, if you don't know about the Ironman Sprocket, uh, definitely head to their website, dirttricks.com, and find out more about those guys. But we will be discussing them a little bit later when we like to talk about all of our sponsors. So what did I was I talking about? We're going to give away stuff. Oh, yeah. So the chat room award. What we're going to do here with Fly Racing is giving away one of their another great piece of swag. This may be for people that like to dress up a little bit more and do some fun stuff. They're giving away one of their polos. Um, and the way to do that is best que question in the chat room. I feel like I'm all over the place tonight. I'm just kind of like... Burp, 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 burp. TLK.io slash seat time. 
That was not just a bunch of letters with a couple punctuation pieces in there. TLK.io slash seat time is the chat room at web address. So get in there. And with that, you can then submit your questions for writers like Robbie Bell, uh, if you have one directly for him, or if you have one later for Cody Webb, then I can ask him for that. Or if you just have random off-road questions that you would like us to ask and discuss, we can do that as well. So please, um, get in the chat room, ask your questions, uh, submit yourself, and we will uh, pick one by the end of the show that is just like, bam, you're going to get some free shit. Of course, Dirt Tricks is going to be giving away a free sprocket, um, and I want to talk about that. So how is that going to happen? So we posted a picture just a few minutes ago on Instagram, and with that picture um, is Eric Kudla right next to his sprocket. The question is, how many hours does that sprocket have on it? The person who gets closest to it wins. Now, I'm going to say, let's do this through Twitter. So, at SeatTime underscore CO, you could even just put the numbers. We would prefer that you put hashtag SeatTimeLive and then the number that you think that that sprocket has on it. And that person is going to win, the first person that's closest or actually gets the number. So, I've done way too much talking. I apologize. We're actually on time tonight. It's blowing my mind. I just feel like I need to talk too much, so it just allows us to feel like we're actually late. So before I just go completely overboard, Mr. Robbie Bell, thank you for being on Seat Time for the second time in your illustrious off-road career. How is your evening going, kind sir? Going really well, and I'm really impressed that you're on time, too. I remember last time we had a few issues getting the uh, FaceTime up and running, so it feels good to be on time. Oh, doesn't it? It does. It's just like, whoo! I'll be honest. We've had quite a few uh, technical issues the past couple shows, and it's just random stuff. Like, you come in, you're like 750, you just, we've gone through all of our little checklists, and we're like, yeah, ready to go, get people called in, and all of a sudden, it's like shit just hits the bed. And you're like, what the? Mm. So, it feels weird to actually be on time right now, as I have to say. How was... So in relation to that, if you were to be like, oh, my gosh, I know exactly what you're talking about. There was a time when I thought my motorcycle was totally prepped, but something was broken or missing or just, you know, off the charts wrong, and it totally threw your mind for a loop. Has something like that ever happened to you on your motorcycle? Uh, not during, but after the fact. I was actually at Mammoth a couple of years ago, and um, I noticed my bike was started smelling a little off. And I come in and realize after about 20 minutes of practice, there wasn't any oil in the machine. So uh, that was a bit of a, oh, dang, we need to remedy that, that situation real quick. Luckily, the Kawasaki held together. Apparently, you can run them for 20 minutes without oil, and not too much damage occurs. It actually lasted the whole, the whole week up at Mammoth and uh, didn't have any issues. Wow. Man, that's pretty impressive that you were able to, one, figure out what that smell was so quickly. Uh, after that practice, and then uh, that, yeah, that it held together and kept going. Uh, I one time realized that somebody, I say somebody because I really don't know what happened. Honestly, it may have leaked out, whatever, but started an enduro, and I remember going through all my checklists the Saturday night before, and there was radiator fluid, for sure. Well, three and a half miles into the race, there was not radiator fluid, and I had a seized engine, and that sucked. So... Sometimes shit happens and people are bitches. I don't know. Or just the <laughs> karma wants to kick in the dick. I don't know. <laughs> it can get weird. It can get weird. So, works has been interesting. Obviously, now that you you know you are the current champion, 2013 works champion, we did not get a chance to talk to you at the end of the season last year. So, tell us a little bit about how that was for you. How did everything wrap up You know, at the end of the season? Well, last year went pretty amazing for me. Um it's one of those years when it like, kind of everything came together, 
and uh, just physically with my program. The bike was awesome all year. My team was awesome all year. Um, but really, really, I just I just enjoyed the work series. You know, enjoyed racing it. Uh, all the all the venues that you know that it goes to, and um, especially the competition. The only thing I was kind of bummed about that wasn't able to beat Taylor heads up. I haven't beat that guy heads up, and he's you know obviously he's he's one of the fastest guys on the West Coast, and uh, and he was killing it, you know when there when there was a really deep field at work. So I've always had a goal to want to beat him. Just I like I like Taylor really you know really enjoy racing him. It's uh, nothing personal. I just really wanted to beat him, just kind of have that uh, under my belt. But that aside, you know, the year was awesome for me to get the championship, to have some great battles with guys like uh, Justin Jones and Bobby Garrison and, and Taylor as well. You know, I got close a couple times, but never quite pulled it off. But, the, I mean, from, from the very first, the, the start of the year, to get my first win, it was pretty emotional just because I've been racing this series since 2005. So what is that, almost, what, eight years? Yeah. Eight years racing it. And uh, to finally get that win, that was pretty emotional, just for myself, my family, you know, everybody that had been supporting me. They kept telling me I had the talent to do it. It was more just me finally, you know, doing it. Right. And then, uh, then to go on and have the season that I did, getting I think four wins and and uh, being on the podium all but one round, it was it was definitely a great year for me. Cool. Um. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that because, like I said, we didn't really get a chance to to thank you or or to congratulate you and to talk to you. But um, I have to ask, we were one of the things that I kind of talked to Gary Sutherland about, you know, I was like, man, you've got a couple wins right now, you're doing pretty awesome. I was like, say you, you know, randomly, say you get the championship. What are your expectations for the next year? Does it does it look like Works is on a track to where it could pick up a little bit more money in the sense of teams and sponsorships and things like that? That was kind of what I asked him. So I have to, I, I want to ask you that same question, but maybe in retrospect to last year's championship. So when you got that championship, how much did a lot change for you when it comes to support and sponsorship and things like that for racing the work series moving into 2014? For me personally, it did. Um, it, it kind of went hand in hand with, with, uh, Taylor moving to KTM from Kawasaki. So it opened up a little bit of their budget. And they were able to step up and support me, which I really appreciate. It's been huge this year. But for me personally, it has. Um, from a bigger picture standpoint, I mean, we're definitely we're definitely still kind of in a valley. I'd say, you know, if you want to if you want to look at it almost like a roller coaster, we're still in a valley as far as the attendance and and everything. But I, I think maybe not next year, but in the next few years, I think it's going to start picking up. I almost see it right now. People just kind of want to have fun on their dirt bikes. That's where you're seeing more attendance at like one-off events, um, like the big sky type of events, even though I know that's not running anymore. Um, just because people want, people are looking for a little more unique kind of events. You know, they don't want the, the grind so much right now just because things are a bit tougher. But I do believe in the next couple of years, it's, it's going to start turning around. I think people are going to come back to more of a, you know, a solid series that they they know and enjoy. And work, Works is making some steps to to make it a little more family oriented too. They're uh, you know they're they're doing stuff to kind of up the fun level, make it a little more casual, a little more laid back. And I think that's that's you know showing through. I think people are enjoying it a little bit more. Yeah, one of the the big things that did come across when we were talking with Gary two weeks ago was that there there have been some noticeable changes within the work series. And, and I, he as well mentioned the family aspect of it. Um, how do you feel have the tracks changed and how do you feel they've changed for good, for worse, for just different? Um, kind of tell us 
just because the only reason I ask is because it seemed like for a while people were saying, oh, Works is feeling so much more moto-esque opposed to off-road-esque. It, it was. It was feeling a little more moto-ish. Um, I think that was around the time around the time when things started going south as far as entries and they were just they were just trying to find almost their identity a little bit because it had been it had been kind of going more towards the moto aspect just because the speeds were going up we were getting more entries from the motocross you know discipline so it was it was kind of a natural progression i feel or almost like an unquestioned progression but now i feel like they're almost re kind of redefining their identity trying to make the tracks a little more off-road-ish you know it's it's never going to be I think completely off-road just because it is a closed course Grand Prix, you know, setup. But um, along along with being the super events now where they have the quads, they have the UTVs, it is definitely a little more, they go for a little more flow, a little more off-road feel just because that's going to, you know, help the quads and the UTVs as well. They don't have quite as much single track, um, you know, just depending on the venue, sometimes they'll throw in, you know, a, a few sections if it's available, but for the most part, I've noticed they're a little faster, a little more flowing uh, courses. Cool. Yeah, uh, and you, you mentioned it, the super event. Um, GNCC does have a couple of those where they've got the quads, the UTVs, and obviously the bikes. Um, and that was one of the ones we got to go to, Big Buck. And it was super cool to watch all of that take place in one weekend. That was uh, my first GNCC to attend for racing. Um, and it was really neat. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, those they have to be very well organized um, obviously, any series that's going to do that kind of super event has to be very well organized. And I thought it was neat how they had, you know, the kind of the middle length track that the quads were going to race on. They shortened it to, uh, you know, for the UTVs just so it was pretty much all the wider trail. And then they even then they elongated it for the bikes and added like specific single track type stuff. I have a feeling that you know it sounds like, and having talked to different people, that the work series does kind of know how they're slowly progressing into what they want to be. Um, on the West Coast, and I think that if they can keep heading that direction, they probably will be able to get that extra time and extra manpower to really head out and create some of those, you know, more single-track specific sections. So that way, even though they do have larger super events, that the the bikes and the guys can kind of still get some of their more specific type of track and terrain like that. Which uh, do, do a lot of the, I guess the question there is, do you think a lot of the venues would have the ability to kind of cater to some single track? If if people had the time to go make it, um, it, it depends because it changes from year to year. Like last year with Honey Lake, yeah, you obviously had some more single track there just because it's a little more available. Um, going up to Rattleline of Washington this year, there's definitely going to be single track through the trees just because you know it's, yeah. it's there. So it's I think Washington. depending <laughs> Washington, there's trees, and I stare at them and then I hit them. What's with that? <laughs> but uh, it'll happen. <laughs> But uh, no, I think um, I think like you said, as it's available, they do they do split the courses a little bit. I think they're 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 kind of a little bit in a rebuilding phase, just with with their like I said, trying to find their identity. You know, with the staffing, just getting getting everything fully organized. Um, so I think uh, I think right now too, the the UTV side of it's growing so crazy. I think everybody's trying to keep up with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty ridiculous that there's like 35 UTV pros and something like 70 or 75 total UTV entries. It's just crazy. And especially at Havasu, watching them go around that whooped out course. It's, it's unbelievable that they last. And then watching them do the lagoon double, like last year at, at Glen Helen, they had a water jump 
And that was like the fan favorite. There was probably, I mean, there was probably hundreds of people in this tiny area, you know, packed in just watching this water jump. And that was like the fan favorite and watching cars almost flip, watching wheels bust off. It was crazy and hectic. And I know the works crew were sweating it just because it was a little scary, but it was a fan favorite. And it's, it's, Apparently it's really hot right now, so go yeah. figure. It it's it's interesting that you say that. I didn't know that that the work series was like that, but definitely Stephen, our producer, the gentleman behind the uh, behind the camera right now, um, over the computer, he did get a chance to race the or ri- do a ride along with the KR4 guys on in their UTV, and he loved it, like absolutely loved it. Now he is a UTV, he's a side by side guy, like that's what he does for fun on the weekends when he can get out. Um, he'd just never been able to race like at that level. But I would agree. I think I know I was surprised at the turnout, and not just in the pro turnout. I I think with the pros, I saw what I was expecting to see. You know, there was one to two really big rigs that had un crazy amount of money. You know, there's like ridiculous amounts of money to throw down on these UTVs. But I think the amount of like sport and novice kind of guys was what actually kind of threw me off. I was like, there was a lot of guys out there that wanted to kick ass and race their UTV, regardless of it being. You know, some something you'd use on your ranch or one that was like made to race. So it's it's pretty interesting. It, 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 it's amazing too, just with how you know if, if people are gonna stay racing stuff right now because of the cost. That's what surprises me because the UTVs are it's like buying a car, and it you know it's crazy to me. And then and then the upkeep because every race, even if you have a perfect race, you're gonna bust something. Yep. So the, the upkeep on them, you know, it's a lot of work. My my parents shop Precision Concept got a couple UTVs in and. And Phil was working on it. He's just like, man, there's just to do anything on the UTV. It's a lot of work. So, uh, so that definitely surprises me that so many people are into it. And I think that's why I don't, I don't know if it's going to be, if it's going to follow like the the supermoto um, fad where it was like big for a few years and then you know kind of just faded away. And a few people still do it, but it's not that big. Or if it's going to stand the test of time, it's it's still I think too early to call that. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I didn't, I wouldn't even have thought of that. Is it the exact? It could be like super supermoto where it was really hot and then just kind of petered off. So I'm not too sure. What did we just lose? Is he still there? Uh, it says pause. Huh? Go over there and see what happened. Well, that's interesting. We're looking at the computer and all of a sudden it's like, where did he go? Oh my gosh, he just disappeared. Oh, that's fun. It just like totally went to another screen. Yeah, wait, it's that pause on my screen. So, <laughs> hold, please. <laughs> yeah. We're taking a quick break so that we can all go make fun of somebody. No, uh, okay, we had a couple questions from the chat room. Um, and one of them was uh, from B. Williams, 524, and he wanted to know, Does, do you still use gel and teeth whitening strips? <laughs> uh, no, I don't, actually. And uh, You I, gave I up actually, on those, huh? Yeah, I brush my teeth actually with uh, organic earth minerals and and some volcanic ash, and no joke either. I could go get it for you. It's, it's this product called called Oralive. My my wife makes fun of me too because she's a uh, orthodontic assistant. She's like, "What are you doing brushing your teeth with that bit?" You, it's just me. I read something. I'm like, "That sounds good. Let me do that," and I haven't stopped. Oh my god! So your wife? You said she's a so she's like a dental assistant, like a dental hygienist, or? An or- yeah, a dental assistant for an orthodontist. Okay, and and she's pretty much said you're crazy for for using that. <laughs> she makes fun of me. She doesn't use the word crazy. She calls me a nerd. That's our inside joke right now. Anytime I read something new, she's like nerd alert. <laughs> 
that's uh that's pretty wicked i mean that's a, that's some serious commitment to your teeth to straight up so if you went to hawaii would you just like jump on the volcano and like like try to like rub your teeth into it just getting them all shiny well, it would need to be dormant for a while that's and then true. i'd that's have to look up, i'd have to look at how the aboriginals or indigenous gathered it and processed volcanic ash you know cuz there there's a tried and true method i'm sure that probably you know has been handed down for generations so I'd have to learn that knowledge before I actually uh, committed to doing it myself. This sounds like a big process. I, I think I, I think the right way to do it is the way you're doing it and buying it in a tube. Yeah, it's much easier that way. <laughs> I like it. Okay, you're also a big desert racer. You know, you you've been doing the, some of the the score races and some of the other events down there. And we did have a question from the chat room from Mopar, and he wanted to know. Um, were there any big name U.S. racers or any racers, you know, or maybe yourself that could that would like to go down to Australia and be able to race, you know, like the Fink or the uh, the Hada? I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, so I'm just going to say it wrong. Like the, the, the but the big desert racers down there. I I definitely be interested in it. I definitely need, as far as I know, anyway, to have to to build a special bike for that thing because I heard it's just ridiculous the speeds and the whoops and uh, you know the the that the guy, these guys carry over the whoops. I've heard it's pretty scary, but uh, I definitely be interested in it. I just, I don't know, I don't know if there's really anybody else that's interested in you know having me go over there right now. Right. It seems uh, like watching a lot of the, the the videos that come out of you know Australia when it comes to their four day and and some of the other big events that they have like the Fink. Um, you don't see anything but KTM's and Yamahas. Is that? Do you notice that? I mean, like, yeah, I, I could imagine that it's like to get Cowie to be like, yeah, that'd be cool. Let's go down and get some presents. It's almost kind of like why? Because I, I, maybe they don't distribute bikes down there or a very small number of them. But it's kind of, it seems a, a little lax. It could be because I think I think Mexico, it's KTMs and Hondas dominate everything. So it could just be country to country based on their importing or, or whatever it is. So, yeah, I think it, it might be kind of tough to sell the idea. So if we could, though, you'd do it. I'd do it. I'd just click up to fifth, maybe get a special motor in my Cowie, get six or seven gears, and click up to maximum, just that throttle to the wide open position and never let, let off. What is, a, is it ludicrous speed? <laughs> from Star Wars? Oh, no, uh, yeah. not Star Spaceball Star Wars from Spaceball. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ludicrous speed! Ludicrous speed. <laughs> I think my eyes would be about that big, though, the whole time. <laughs> They've gone to plaid. <laughs> that would be pretty intense. I mean, that would literally be strapping a jet engine to your butt. Like, I mean, Ridgecrest this weekend was pretty fast, but I think that would be just a little bit quicker. Okay, great tie-in. So tell us about this weekend where you got your first win of the 2014 series, because not to say that you've had, you might have had been having bad luck, things like that, but, but talk us through a little bit of this season in works and how it's gone for you and then what it took for you to get to the point where you could you know, come away with the win that you did this past weekend. Well, I haven't been shy about expressing that it's been a tough year for me, and it kind of goes back to the Baja 1000 last year. I mean, that was just uh, a tough 1000 for everybody. Um, but for me personally, I, you know, I suffered a pretty bad crash. I only made it about 10 miles into my ride and uh, had to hop in the helicopter because I wadded up at like 60. And so after that, I was struggling with a shoulder and an ankle injury, and that carried into about mid-January. And then I was just starting to feel pretty good. Like I taft, taft was fairly solid for me. Um, and then just after that, I was actually at Glen Helen 
training a little eight-year-old kid on a, on his mini bike, and he crashed on the backside of a jump. And so I stopped behind him to like help him, and a guy behind me was in midair and landed on my knee, and, and took me out. So that that actually sent me onto the couch for about three weeks. Um, so from there, right about the time my knee started feeling better, I raced the sixth hour and just had a little nothing high side, but put out my hand just wrong and hurt my wrist. So really, this you know this year has just kind of been one injury to the next. Nothing. Nothing major other than the knee, really, but, you know, it's just been tough to try to get into any kind of rhythm or program as far as training. So I felt kind of behind the eight ball, but having said all that, I mean, Gary's just been killing it and his confidence has been gaining. So for me to finally feel pretty good this weekend and be able to come out on top, it was it was definitely a good time. And it, it kind of goes back to last weekend, too, uh, racing the Silver State 300. I, I did that solo. And to get 300 miles under my belt and get actually really close to the wind, or getting the win right. and, you know, in the dust all day behind two bikes. That was, that was pretty good for my confidence mentally and physically. So to come into this weekend, and of course it was just about as fast. There were a lot of fifth gear straightaways, you know, it was kind of tailor made for me to, to make, finally make a comeback and, and get my first win of the year and, and feel like, you know, like I'm earning that number one plate now because it's been kind of tough this year to have the number one on there and not be representing it and my sponsors as well, you know? Right. Yeah, it's uh, we've kind of been seeing some interesting uh, uh, back and forth go on in the GNCC series. A lot of people, you know, we had a big discussion about it uh, here before the GNCC series started up. You know, it's like, can Caleb Russell um, become a back-to-back, you know, GNCC champion? Because um, we've only had like two Europeans do it in the, you know, in the 2000s, be able to do something like that. And I kind of was like, you know what? I don't think you can. Like it was, you know, and I had my reasons. If anybody really wants to get dig into it, you can go back and check out that episode. Um, and I've completely taken that back. I, I know now that if anybody's going to do it, it is Caleb Russell. It's interesting, but he literally was like, he, he had a really bad wreck and came all the way from the back and was just like, I had to ride like a champion. I had, you know, it's like if I didn't ride like a champion, I knew I wouldn't have a chance at winning the championship again, and I think it's it's something that 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 you're kind of learning about too, is that it's how hard it is to defend that number one plate. Um, be it obviously you had all kinds of stuff going on, but I don't even know. Maybe sometimes if there's if you come in perfectly healthy, feeling the best ever, is there it, does there add like mental pressure as well that you kind of like maybe add to yourself that that people don't even know about unless they talk to you about it all the time. I think I think at the very beginning of the year, I didn't have any of that extra pressure i was just i was just you know i mean i was fresh off of the you know recovering from the baja injury so i didn't have a whole lot of expectations but it is one of those things if you don't get a win right away or if you don't perform you know the way you're expected to or the way you expect yourself to right away then it starts creeping into your head like oh man i have this number one plate and i'm not winning you know what's the deal did i really deserve it last year am i going backwards is everybody else getting faster you know those little those little questions do creep in so i think I think it's something it's you're more susceptible to those questions and that doubt the longer you go without performing. Then that's definitely what happened to me. You know, I got I got to Havasu and it was that was just after my knee and I've just basically rode around, you know, and, and uh way underperformed. And from there it was just it's really just been building myself back up physically. And then once I got to the point where physically I felt decent, then it was the mental game and that's where the last couple of weeks finally felt a bit of a break a breakthrough. 
Yeah. Cool. Well, now that you do kind of have that confidence and you're able to, to kind of mentally sit back and go like, you know what? Bam, it's there. You know, yeah, it was a tough start, but here it is. I was able to pull this off. What's the, what's the carryover into the next round and, and to the rest of the season to kind of keep up that momentum? For me personally, it's, it's now it's just about a solid routine. You know, I, 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 even if I wasn't racing, I'd be training just because I love pushing my body. So for me, that's, that's not really an issue. I enjoy going to the gym, going for runs, things like that. So just getting into the routine of that and pushing my body the way I enjoy is, is that carries over into the mental game. You know, when you show up on the weekend, you know, you've been, you know, killing it in the gym or killing it on the runs, doing whatever you're doing for cross training. Uh, you just feel like a badass. And so that's, I think that's kind of the key for me is just getting that, you know, puffing my chest out a little bit, feeling like I've been, been killing it you know, off the bike to kill it on the bike. Yeah. Um, you said you kind of like to, you get really involved and get really into the stuff when it comes to your body and training and things like that. Um, and then there's also the nerd alert that your wife was talking about. So tell us a little bit about what you're uh, nerding out about now besides your teeth cleaning habits. <laughs> what am I not nerding out about? Um, <laughs> that Maybe that's a better question. <laughs> maybe it is. Uh, well, after, after actually you mentioned the gluten-free beer. And we talked about that a little bit last time on the show. And after going gluten-free, which helped me a lot with my performance on the track and my health off of it. Uh, what about in the bed? More or less went kind of paleo, primal, if, if you want to call it that. Yeah. And then I even actually dabbled with with fasting and just eating one meal a day in the evening, even on days that I was training, even on races, actually, not not eating any food before the races and um, and basically basically training and and performing in a fasted state and uh now my latest is actually um starting to learn a little bit about wild foods and wild plants and uh going that route i even have they even have some sandals that have some little mini conductors in the soles of them so i can feel the magnetic field of the earth you know and ground my body with the magnetic field so what am i not nerding about out about right now so is that like the uh the little the little little bracelets that people were wearing to like I don't even remember. I just laughed at him. I actually, I actually sleep. My bed has uh, two sheets of magnets underneath the mattress um, to stimulate the Earth's magnetic field. So it's the same, same um, idea, I guess. But the, you know, the thing is, when you wear rubber, rubber-soled shoes, that cancels, cancels out the grounding, basically. So the idea with these, I actually, I actually have them on right now. Let me pull it off. The idea with these, you see the little, the little grounding things on the on the bottom that you know pushes the the earth's magnetic field through to you so you're grounded so theoretically you're healthier your body's functioning better um another thing i read about and said hey sounds good to me i'm gonna try it <laughs> and i enjoy them i i haven't gone for a run in them yet that's the next step i've only had them for about a week and a half so they're but, shoes uh, or sandals they're sandals they're um katie calls them jesus sandals except they're a little girlier because you can see how small the straps are <laughs> they're they're kind of girly, right? But uh, super thin because I'm all about the minimalist as well, right? So I was wearing them all weekend at at uh, Ridgecrest, and that was the joke between me and Timmy Sheldon, one of the um, the race coordinator. He's like, "Are you feeling grounded?" I'm like, "I'm feeling so grounded. I'm feeling so grounded. I think it's going to help me win." But uh, so people were making fun of me all weekend, but I don't mind. You know, it's 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 my nerd side, so I embrace it. Right. It's what keeps you sane and what keeps you coming back. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, uh, this is a fun one. When was the last time you got to go to Disney World or Disneyland in your case? Uh, Disneyland. When was the last time? It would have been a few weeks ago. We're always going, but actually, we're going next. We're actually going this Friday. Uh, my wife and I are meeting um, a couple friends of ours, Clayton and Debbie. We'll be hanging out there uh, all day Friday, probably into the evening. And then, actually, this September, we're going to Disney World for the first time. So oh. now you want to see a nerd alert. Wait until my wife sees Harry Potter Land. <laughs> Dude, you have no idea. We were supposed because the new Harry Potter uh, World is opening this summer, which is probably why you guys are going later in the year. Yeah. But we were supposed to be going this summer. And we were going to be taking our oldest, uh, Kaylin, who just turned eight. Um, but, you know, that was what we were planning for last year. But, of course, my wife got pregnant, so we just had our new baby. She's two months old. So, obviously, we're not going to leave her with any, you know, there's just no way to leave her with anybody. We don't want to take kids to that whole thing. So, next summer, the plan is uh, to to make it to Disney World again and take Kaylin and, obviously, Tam, because neither of them have been to Disney World, and then to be able to go to Harry Potter World, both, all aspects of it at Universal. I'm totally, totally stoked. Yeah, and we're we're gonna be standing in the two hour wand line so she can have the wand choose her. And she showed me a YouTube video of, of uh, the new Gringotts bank or whatever with the goblins. Uh, they're all lifelike and animatronic, and that was that was a, the source of a lot of excitement for her. So I'm I'm really excited. Like I want to get first of all, I wanted it to be in a helmet just because I think that would be funny. And then I want to get <laughs> I want to get one of those uh, GoPro rigs that shines back at her face and shines at what she's looking at. So you her go out of her mind. I think she's actually, she might shed some tears when she sees the entrance. <laughs> this is I, awesome. I, I, envision, I envision her getting there and getting the wand and then just feeling like she belongs and never wanting to leave. Like she, she'll she probably stay there. <laughs> <laughs> she actually just peeked through the door and she's uh, a little upset at me right now for saying all that. Oh, well, uh, there was, I remember last time that you were on, she, she came in uh, into the show and, and delivered dinner. So she, I just want to put it out there while we're still on. She's more than welcome at any point in time to come back in and give us more awesome stuff about you. That That's totally fine. We love that kind of thing. We're very interactive here at Seat Time. We take what we can get, and we're not afraid or ashamed of it. But uh, I think I am very, very excited about the new Harry Potter world opening, the second part of it. I have not been to the first part. My sister has. I'm very jealous of that little of that lady. Um I don't think I'd actually do the wand thing, though. Like, if I walked up and it was like, hey, nobody's here, you want to do it? I'd be like, cool, let's do it. But I don't think I would wait for it. I don't... I mean, like, I want magic to be real, but the problem is, is I know it's not real. So the wand's not really choosing me. (laughs) That's... But it's the principle of the matter. Oh, I I hear you. If Hermione was there, I'd totally get in trouble for talking bad, but... Well, and you got to understand, too, that we, we actually just went to the Renaissance Fair. And so we're thinking of launching our own Renaissance Fair, but making it like a Harry Potter fair. So, yeah, everybody dresses up. It's basically a Harry Potter world that's fully interactive. So we're, we're going to be launching that probably in 2017. Look for that on the West Coast, right next to Disneyland. So, damn it. I almost for a second was like, I think he's serious. <laughs> What would be interesting, though, you say that is you're talking about the Renaissance Fair. Is that a true statement? Did you guys just go to the Renaissance Fair? 
We we did, and we actually felt really out of place for not having dressed up. Right. And then the other thing is when they talk to you, they talk to you in, you know, like the old English fashion or whatever. You find yourself talking back to them that same way, except you have no idea what to say, so it just comes out like gibberish. <laughs> That's so true. It's funny because my wife and I, and even before my wife and I, when it was just me and whomever, whatever friend or person I was around with, I loved going to Renaissance festivals, and I still do. Those are so much fun to go to. There's one, there's two in Texas, one that's kind of close to us here in Waxahachie. That's good, the Scarborough Fair. It's it's not bad. Like, if you've never been to one before, it's a decent one to go to, but the really good one's down in Conroe, and it's it's nationally known, um, and it is awesome. It is super cool to go to, and there are the crazy people that dress up. I get... My parents and my wife and stuff give me so much shit for not dressing up. And I'm like, hey, we're going to be walking around all day. All day. I want to be in the most comfortable shit possible. So Yeah, how, how do they walk around in the stuff that they walk around in? Because even, even my wife, like, if, she, if we dress up, she's like, I want to go big and dress up in the huge, gigantic, you know, I don't even want you to call them, but the big dresses with the corset and all that. And I'm like, that's going to be so freaking hot all day. But at the same time, when you show up there, everybody's wearing it. Like, we were in the minority just being in, you know, shirt and shorts and my sweet sandals. So it, they, they, make you, they make you actually want to dress up just because everybody's in character. And they're actually really impressive because they never break character. You can start asking them questions about the park or just, you know, about, about things outside of their character. And they won't, they won't answer the questions because they're paid to not break character. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned corsets. Um, what I do also enjoy about the Renaissance Festival is I, I'm quite the breast man. Uh, <laughs> my wife has fairly large boobs, and that's cool. Um, but what's really cool is the ladies who have fairly large boobs, and then they put on a corset, and it's like they create this shelf. Yeah. It's like they look like submarines torpedoes i don't know how they do that i want to like i just i mean like you really just want to walk around motorboating people like because it's just like a shelf that you just want to be like bink, like just bah, and be like here's five dollars thank you <laughs> i'm a bad if, if nothing else you're at least asking yourself how do they do that because it is impressive yeah i agree all right well, we don't need to keep you all night. Obviously, your wife is either waiting to beat you or have dinner with you or something extremely, hopefully generous in, in any right of the of the words. But uh, so congrats. Things are going good. How are uh, – just move it forward for us, and what are you looking forward to? Uh, actually, in a, in a month, I'm going to do the Perry Mountain 24-hour out in Alabama. So uh, me, Ryan Abitoy, Justin Steeds, and then a few guys from the East Coast are going to be doing that. So I'm really excited for that experience. That'll be cool. Obviously, the rest of the work series, um, I'll be doing the 24 Hours of Glen Helen out here too. But honestly, just enjoying enjoying the rest of the year with my friends and family and just uh, having a good time. Very cool. Well, as always, we really appreciate you uh, spending the time coming, uh, coming on the show with us. We won't make it as much of a span between uh, shows next time. Um, but the thing is, is definitely document all the new nerd stuff you pick up. So that we can really, you know, dissect all the weird new things you get into on the next show. How's that sound? I'll get a list together full with bullet points. Maybe I'll make a presentation. <laughs> I like it. You guys like my PowerPoints? Check them out. <laughs> <laughs> Dig it. Cool, man. Well, you guys have fun. We really appreciate your time. All right, thanks. Always fun being on. <laughs> Later. See ya. All right. 
man, Mopar, you got to ask that kind of stuff while the guest is still on. What are you thinking? You know we're kind of starting to transfer over. So we're going to get Cody Webb to come on here. We want you guys to go ahead and get your questions into the chat room. Uh, Steven, how have things been looking on Twitter? Have anybody been responding uh, for... A bunch of Twitter stuff popping up. So I don't know yet if if we have a winner. But what I do know is that there's still a chance for you guys to get out there. So at seat time underscore CO. Put that picture up one more time, Stephen, if you wouldn't mind. So this picture right here of Eric Kudla with his uh, Dirt Tricks Iron Man sprocket on. We want to know what you think. How many hours does that sprocket have on it? And if you can even name the miles, I might be able to get a front sprocket thrown in for you. I doubt it. But hey, well, let's go. It's Twitter. You can say whatever you want. 140 characters. So get in there. Do it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. All right, so we're getting Cody Webb. So Fly Racing, Fly Racing, if you have not watched Seat Time before, they are the supporter of Seat Time. They, are the be- they were there from the beginning. They found us like four episodes in, sent us a couple T-shirts, and they were like, hey, thanks for drinking and talking about dirt bikes because nobody does that enough. Well, I have to admit, definitely this year has been a lot less drinking for me. I am trying to stay in a little bit better shape as things get forward for the Baja Rally. Um, and just, just, just level setting a little bit for a little while. Um, so, you know, old drunk uh, Woody might show up every now and again, but we're going to try to keep him in the closet at least for a little while. Uh, but, but, but the good thing is about Fly Racing, they make extremely high-quality products. They're extremely supportive of the sport that we are in. And they want to make sure that you're having a good time out there, and that's why they support shows like Seat Time. So, again, get into, this, get into the chat room, tlk.io slash Seat Time, and with that, you can ask your questions, and we're going to come up with the best question, and you're going to give away one of their fantastic polo shirts. I don't even have a polo shirt. I'd wear it to work if I did because not that I have to wear polos, but I wear them every now and again. So I think they're pretty nice. Um, one of the ways that you could go find this, though, like I like to say always, where are these products? So flyracing.com is the website, and in the top right, you're going to see the navigation. With that navigation, you can go over to casual. Casual is going to drop down to shirts. In shirts, you're going to see down in polo. That is what you want to find and what you want to use. So we definitely appreciate not only Fly Racing for being a supporter of Seat Time, but for supporting all of the swag that you guys get a chance to win. So get in the dang chat room and do it. Right, Cody Webb? Right. I missed whatever you're talking about. That's sure. fine. Just agree to it and say Seat Time is awesome. Seat Time is where it's at. Bam. Save that for later. We're making a clip out of it. <laughs> Man, so that's the that's the hard part about about doing video with this kind of stuff is it's very hard for us to come back and remember where certain things are so that we can come make clips out of them later on. We really need to do that though. Like get you get you famous people to be like, "See, time is so cool. You need to watch it every Tuesday." And then we can save that and use it, you know? For future. For future, yeah, yeah cuz if we couldn't use it in the past cuz that would be I don't have a time machine. I don't. I was hoping you were going to go somewhere with that, but apparently I'm the one who has to be creative here, Cody. I don't know how to help you with that one. (laughs) So here's one thing you can help me with. I like to talk about our supporters on the show, but the good thing is is that you are sponsored by one of our supporters, Stillwell Performance. So how much did they help you perform the way that you did as you got your first Endurocross win of the season? Well, Stillwell came out to my house a couple – Maybe about a month ahead of time, and we spent a couple days riding my enduro cross track, going to uh, Fox Shocks, and 
I did on the moto track, dialing in uh, some suspension for the year. We made some changes from last year, and evidently we uh, we went the right way. Were those changes made, the ones you're talking about that you made last year, were those the ones that you did while you were winning the TKO? Uh, yeah, I won the TKO on a different setup than we did this year. We ended up like changing our base setup from last year and a little bit stiffer to wear because we want to go faster. Stiffer to go faster. Yeah. I'm going to tell my wife that, but remind her that we don't want any more kids. Man, your your teeth every time they just get me. They're so white. Like even even the white white trees I can see in the sun behind you, your teeth just still shimmer. Should I should I move the screen or are we all right right? Oh here? no, we're fantastic. You look beautiful. Um So We've been trying to get you on the show for a while, but unfortunately you've had uh, Tuesday night classes, which I think you scheduled on purpose just so you didn't have to come on the show. Very, very yeah, sad about that. I pretty much try and bail out as often as possible, you but you, you suckered me in tonight. I did. That's because I offered you virtual high fives. I, I don't know. Actually, you're just a nice guy, so I appreciate that. But let's talk about this because you've had some pretty good successes throughout the off-season of Endurocross. Um, you know, you came away with the win at the end of the season last year in Vegas, which I was at. That was super fun. We could even talk yeah. about that. That was a good time. Um, you know, and then you've had some successes as well after the factor in what the Endurocross off season, and now you come away with the win. I mean, you're kind of starting things off on the right foot, I would say. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, maybe on my left foot because my right foot's the broken one. That's so true. it started off on the left foot. I like it. And, you know, I had a solid, definitely a solid, great start to the season. Uh, a little, you know, I mean, obviously I expected to uh, go in and get a win, but to get it the way I did was definitely uh, a lot more satisfying. Yeah, I mean, very, very commanding. Was it you lapped all the way up to fourth or past fourth? I think uh, we lapped up to third, so I got past fourth. That's pretty impressive. You almost got to be on the podium twice. <laughs> I just about got there. <laughs> I wonder how that would work. Uh, like, well, here's your first place trophy, and here's your third first place trophy. I don't know. Yeah, that would be very awkward. Um, yeah. Very disconcerting for the person in third, unfortunately. So break it down how the season started with Endurocross because I think a lot of people because it's been on the west coast for so long and hasn't really traveled across the country in a while obviously it's going to be in Atlanta you know outside Atlanta later this year which is great for us on uh, central and east coasters but um, were there any big changes to the events were there any new things on the track were there any new uh, you know things in the layout of how they do the evening and, and the hot laps and all that kinds of stuff uh, there's a couple of it are a couple of changes this year from last year. Um, this in Vegas, there was a uh, different parts of the track, different aspects of the track, and also they added like a new feature where you get like kind of added bonus championship points in the heat races. So if you win a heat race, you get a, an additional bonus point. So you know, so you're, I think they're doing that to kind of uh, spice it up. A lot of times when guys make it to the main event, they go, oh, okay, I'll just take it easy, and you know, now you're biting, fighting for every championship point and. We got hot laps right before the main event, and uh, that's kind of bragging rights. You know, you got to throw it down, try and get the first gate big position, and plus on that, you get another added bonus point towards your uh, championship overall season points. So they uh, they just kind of added things up to spruce it up and keep the racing action a little more exciting. And this year, the 
the track in Vegas, um, it seems like I'm the only guy who liked it, but when you win, you're happy. I'm sure if those guys won, they wouldn't complain about it either, but... You know, it's endurocross. It's supposed to be hard and nasty. We're not doing a fast-paced GNCC motocross track with doubles. I'm sorry. you right. got to have a, a true indoor extreme off-road racing. Isn't that what endurocross is? Yeah, that's what I would yeah define it as. Speaking of nasty, gnarly, technical, that V'd-up woodpile, that was intense. <laughs> I, would, I would love, love that to be an obstacle that I could go play with in a field. Without anything else around it, so I could practice maybe, on only maybe it. Some bail, yeah. Maybe, maybe. But holy shit, if you're supposed to hit that at speed with people next to you, all elbows out and shit, like, what the deuce? Like, how was that? That must have been pretty intense. Yeah, that that obstacle was crazy. Like when you, when I was watching the stands, I'm like, oh, that looks cool. Like it looks really fun. And I got down there on track walk, and you know, I'm looking up at the thing. I'm like, man, I'm pretty tall, and that thing's higher than me. So <laughs> it was a little nerve wracking, but. You know, the hardest part wasn't getting up it. It was getting down the other side. I'm so tall. I feel like I was going to go over the bars every time, even though I got my butt past the fender trying to keep it for myself from going over. But it was definitely a cool, fun new obstacle. And, you know, you come out at full speed, and it slows you down and kind of gets you discombobulated for the next rock turn section. So it was cool. I think a lot of riders liked it. Uh, whoever didn't make it over and crash their bike probably wasn't too stoked. But, uh you know, most of the guys all in the afternoon, evening part of the race had no worry, no troubles with it. It's more about like an exciting thing to fans, and it's a new thing in the uh, in the series we've never seen before. So I think it's cool that they're finding new obstacles to keep it uh, spicing up a little bit. Yeah. So do you miss uh, do you miss the the head log, the the log that they had put up to try to take someone's head off? Oh, that thing was not necessary for sprucing up the racing. <laughs> Oh, that thing was awesome. So uh, tell us about some of the other obstacles. Look, the water pit, fire pit, some of the big rock turns. I mean, does all that feel traditional Endurocross? Does it feel like they found a way to change it up? Is it all about the layout? Kind of how, how did they – is there any, any, any differences there? Um, they, I'm really glad they didn't have the wood pile turn. Um, I don't think anyone likes those where they just have the chunks of wood. You know, to basically do a 90 or 100 – 80 degree turn and basically it's just crappy to deal with right. no one likes it but you know the rock turns have always been the same this year they had a little bit of elevation in the big rock turn pile which changes it up especially when it gets wet it's hard to get up and out of there and uh, the first time we've seen it this year usually there's always a big you know jump into the water hole where you kind of jump off the lip and flat land in the water and splash the hell out of yourself and everyone else and jump a log and you land a flat. It's never that exciting for the rider, but it probably looks cool for the fans. But oh, it looks this cool. Year, this year, coming into the water hole, there wasn't a jump. They just kind of built a big divot right in front of it, and you uh, kind of do like a trials move, like called a splatter, where you just right. wheelie slam into it. So that was cool to see a new uh, variation on that. And you know, I think it, it was a mixed feelings on the riders. It's always cool to jump and stuff, but. You know, I think we were all a lot happier that we weren't soaking wet and didn't have to change our gloves after every single practice and heat race and all that. Right, because you're coming in it so much slower because you just kind of splat it into it. And... Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. A uh, couple uh, questions from the chat room, one of them from Crash217J. said, uh, You said something earlier about suspension testing on a motocross track. Does he or is it the... 
wow, I don't, this English is horrible for me, apparently. Does he, or is it the norm for endurocross pros to use motocross as practice? Um, I think quite a bit of riders do ride moto for practice. Um, me, coming from a trials background, that's something I never grew up doing. You know, I, I don't have aggression. I wear my little pajama pants and slippers and kind of dance around on the rocks and there's no aggression no aggression really going on it's just you against the terrain and i really picked up a huge amount of my results when i started going out riding moto tracks and my first time on the track you wouldn't have known that i was a top 10 enduro cross guy because i was a complete squid and didn't know what was going on and just within like the last two years i've kind of really picked it up and you know, it's it's really helped with aggression. Uh, your conditioning gets good because you're just going hard, you know, the whole time. And you get to battle with other riders in turns and practice other lines. So for me, the most important thing was just speed and aggression. And some of the other riders are doing it. I'm sure, you know, guys like Mike Brown, He's he really doesn't need to go to a motocross track and train. He's got that figured out. Taylor Roberts has got that figured out. Gary Sutherland. But, you know, some of the more technical-oriented guys, it might be good to uh, go out and pound some laps and get some speed and aggression going. So you're shaving seconds off in between obstacles and not just in the obstacles themselves. (laughs) Oh, I like it. The only reason I giggle is because somebody put trials equals spandex-clad Power Rangers. Were they right? (laughs) Spandex-clad Power Rangers. (laughs) Have you heard that one before? <laughs> I have not. Oh, that's actually fun. What kind of descriptions or descriptive uh, sayings have you heard about the way that trials riders dress? And I know it's it's, it's function over fashion for sure, but what are, what are some of the fun things that people have said about that? Um, you get sausage suit a lot. So, Interesting. sausage suit. I think jam. we just found a show title. Sausage time? Sausage suit. But, um, I mean, it's definitely functional to wear all those tights and trials. And the air breathes to you a lot nicer. You're not going very fast. So, you know. And I think a big thing, too, is like, you know, people ask me why I wear spandex when I mountain bike because I I don't race any of that kind of crap. It's like, well, I've tried wearing a lot of the looser, um, the looser gear, like some of the baggies that have a chamois and stuff like that, and I try to move like forward and backwards on the bike, and I'll get caught. It'll just you can feel it catching on your seat. You just can't move as well, um, and that's why. Like honestly, I just I feel more comfortable in the spandex because of moving around the bike. Now, sure, I don't have the biggest junk, and it doesn't look all that pretty, but suck it. I'm the one riding the bike and having a good time. So, right? I'll give you credit. I wear tights on my mountain bike and road bike, so we're in the same game there. Yeah, but I don't have a broken foot, and I'm definitely not an Endurocross pro. So your excuses are better than mine. <laughs> my foot's my foot's not broken anymore. That's true. It was the broken one. Yeah. Let's not start rumors. Yeah. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Well, what else, Cody Webb? Your beta, your beta looks sick. I know the wheels are awesome. The bike's dialed. They uh, built the bike for me, and you know, I, I was it, fortunately Beta's only like under two hours from my house, so we picked it up and I rode it three days before the first race. Broke it in, broke the suspension in, and uh, you know, felt good coming in the first round. Bike was awesome, and uh, 
you know, didn't get the best starts, but when you're able to push and feel like fitness is there and the bike's set up good, you can uh, go all out for 12 laps and things worked out perfectly and for almost, me. And almost get on the podium twice. Almost. <laughs> Uh, what about uh, another question from the chat room? Uh, tire setup and/or recommendations for a first-time enduro cross racer. So, unfortunately, you can't buy the tire I'm running because that would be uh, optimum. We got those uh, gummy tires that enduro cross makes, and I know they. Uh, talked to Brock Lever and they talked. He's trying to get them to, to actually make the tire as a, a model they sell to the public just for the average trail rider guy because it's a huge advantage. But I, uh, up, up until then, I was just running a standard MX-51. Um, I haven't tried the new MX-52. I don't know if they're available yet, but um, Dunlop MX-51 was a great intermediate terrain tire and I also was running the MX-81 for a while, and that worked pretty well on the rocks and seems to uh, not chunk like sometimes a 51 will do after a while. Right. The 52 is available now. I know that people have been talking about getting them in. Now, does that mean that shops can order them or that they're in the shops? I don't know the real answer to that. But um, I wonder, because they do have the the neat knob within a knob, and that would yeah, that seems that. like it would help really well for endurocross a, a situation like that where it's you know yeah it allows the knobs to flex a little more and grab around the obstacles and um what, what you could do is what i used to do um before i was getting those sweet sticky tires was slice the knobs and that gives you uh extra flexion i guess and helps with hooking up on that all slippery stuff yeah, uh, Jacob Argybright did that for me when we were at the uh, Friends of Fast Ride. Unfortunately, uh, my technical skills just sucked ass in Vegas, so him slicing up my tire really didn't do any good because the rider was the problem, not the bike or the machine. It's very unfortunate, but that's okay. The bar needed me. I needed to be at the bar, and that was fine with me. The bar was calling your name. It was. Those chronic cokes were awesome. So uh, another question from the chat room. Do you really think that a 300 is better than the 350? And I'm assuming 300 two-stroke versus 350 four-stroke. Yeah. Well, um, now I go back and forth still on that question. I ask myself that at least once a week. But, you know, obviously I've stuck to the two-stroke 300. And I think the best advantage of that is, you know, I don't have to run electric start, so it saves a bunch of weight right there with the wires and battery and motor. So I'm saving weight on the two-stroke initially, and I scrap all electric start, and you can start the bike up first kick if it's been upside down for five minutes. And on the four-stroke, you know, you're it's going to be hard to uh, want to scrap off all that electric start stuff because you're already at a disadvantage with the weight. And being on the two-stroke is just throws the bike around so much easier. So for Endurocross, you know, it, the power of the two-stroke, you know, the way it delivers, it hits. But the 300 has a lot of torque, and, you know, I rarely ever stall my bike, and I basically put it in second gear, and second gear is so versatile on those six-speed transmissions that I can I just ride the whole track in second. Hmm. And the 350 has a great motor with a lot of pull and, and torque and really good off the line, but you're kind of, I kind of find I was battling it in the rocks, and the 300, it's... I'm a big guy, it's light, 
the bike's flying and nimble, and I just put it wherever I want. And especially in any type of extreme enduro event or something, two strokes the only way to go. I've ridden both, and after being on the four stroke and hopping on the two stroke, you save throughout a couple hours worth of riding. You save so much energy. Of like, think about every turn, how much more weight you got to move around, how many turns you are on a course. You're you're saving a lot of weight all day, and that keeps you fresh at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, speaking of the extreme enduros, what's that look like for you this year? Your schedule—you've done fairly well as you've kind of continued to uh, compete in things like Hell's Gate and, and such. So, do you have like more of those lined up for yourself this year? Yeah. So far this year, I did King of Motos, Hell's Gate, and unfortunately, I ate it really hard and retired a helmet after that one because I kind of was a little cuckoo. But um. I got Erzberg up on the list, so I'm going to uh, Erzberg here in a couple weeks. So I've been road biking, trying to get my butt in shape for pushing all day. And uh, <laughs> that's a smart so move. You just... I'm trying to be prepared for that. And you know, it looks like I'll probably be doing the that last dog standing race this year. I've never been able to make it, and I'm not sure the data on it. But you know, they got the race at Glen Allen, so that'll be a good one. And I'll be back for the TKO. You will be back to the TKO. That's fantastic news. We have, I think, somewhere between 10 to 15 Texas guys go into that event, including myself. So we will be competing to be traction uh, on the Sunday amateur classes. So it will be pretty interesting. Just hope it doesn't rain. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, that's true. If it rains, you're going to be in trouble. I know. Oh, I've, I'm on row seven of the amateurs. I have zero expectations. Um, actually, my expectations are to become traction for people. So if I don't, then I'm like winning. You know, literally, I'm going to be like hashtag winning as people go by and they're not landing on me. So it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like my goal for that weekend. So you think you're going to get the win again and, and, and continue the non-bridemaid? The uh, problem is I'm like – keep getting all these wins so i got like the pressure on me now which kind of sucks but i feel like i got the confidence to know i can you know be at the top running up front and um last year i really had a successful ride there at the tko and i know the place from riding there in trials and i know how slippery it can be when it's wet so you know i think i have an advantage and some confidence going into it so i'd love to uh stack up another win there very good to hear. I will be cheering you on. Um, I haven't. I am. Uh, I am staying in one of the media cabins with Shan Moore, so I do have some media duties to do on Sunday. So as soon as those are done, I'll have a beer with you as you're when you're winning. I would. Yeah. Love, I would love to be like there on the side of the trail while you're racing with a beer and just spraying you as you go by. Because um, that's how I roll. I don't want that in my goggles though when I'm racing. I'm gonna. That's true. Oh, I don't want to be that guy. I mean, I'm typically that guy, but I don't want to be that guy. I don't know. We're yeah. just gonna have to see how it plays out. Yeah. You keep you keep turning me down about seat time. I'm. You might be getting shit in your eye. I'm here right now. I know. I love you. You're such a cute. Oh, you're such a nice guy. Yes. Um, we did have a couple more questions. They were talking about um. GNCCs and Enduros in the chat rooms. Kind of obviously, we were just talking about extreme Enduros. There's a big difference between. An extreme enduro and your more traditional enduro, be it either European time format or just uh, kind of the more national uh, format. So, what about 
you know, Enduros and GNCCs. You've done a GNCC before, haven't you? Yeah, that was before I ever even rode moto, so I I was horrible. Right. I, I learned my lesson. Like, holy shit. <laughs> what class yeah. were you in when you did that? What class did you um, in? Well, I, I would... I would have ridden XC2. Right. But it didn't have a 250, so I rode XC1. Woo! How was that? Um, the first, uh, lap, I got an okay start. Oh no, I rode a beta 400. I never even ridden a 400 before. I just, I borrowed a bike from Justin Sode. <laughs> yep. And, uh, the first lap, I did pretty good through the trees. I rode at Loretta Lynn, so it's not really that technical, I didn't think. And uh, I popped out on the motocross track running six the first lap. I'm like, oh, I'm doing pretty good. And then we got on the motor track, and everyone passed me, and I went from, like, sixth to 10th in, like, such a short time frame. I'm like, holy crap, these guys haul ass on the motor. What the hell? So then uh, <laughs> that got to my head, and then I got arm pump after that, and then I was – wide open down some straightaway and there was like you know how they get the mud and the ruts there yep there was like a little creek there was a little creek crossing and all the mud somehow i didn't see it because i don't know what's going on in these races but there was like a concrete culvert pipe and i hit it in like third gear wide open and went flying over the handlebars so uh <laughs> done <laughs> but i finished the rest that was only on the beginning of the second lap and i finished the rest of the race with a broken subframe and a bent exhaust so I, I did. I at least got through it, and then um, you know, I, I would be more prepared now. But that's not something that I really find to be my forte. And I spoke with Tim Pilge at Beta USA, and it looks like I'm going to be riding. I think the Colorado National Enduro and Enduros are kind of a little bit more fitting to my riding style and what I grew up doing. And I. Uh, I want to be like more of a versatile rider than just enduro cross and extreme enduro, and right. um, being a strong enduro rider on top of that would kind of help with my exposure. And I plan on doing that and see what see where I'm at, and maybe next year uh, trying to do both the enduro cross and national enduro series. Very cool. That's very cool to hear. Um, so just thinking about that and knowing that when people go into these enduros, you know they're they're zero go. Okay, cool, and they're sprinting for anywhere between six to ten miles. You know, and stop, go, okay, and kind of these six tests um, in a very sprint-style format. How are you going to – are you going to try to train different for that? And if you are, what are your thinking – what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I really don't think there's anything too much different from Endurocross because it's we sitting on the line and then, boom, wide open for, um, you know, 12 minutes as fast as we can go on stuff that's – not the same kind of riding, but, you know, it's way tighter and more compact, I feel like. I know some of the races back east are really tight with the trees, but um, I'll probably still continue what I'm doing now, doing moto, going out riding extreme stuff, riding an enduro cross track, and all of that should be a good mix for that kind of stuff. And just making sure I'm staying on the bicycles and keeping long-time conditioning fitness up because... Those races are obviously lasting a lot longer of a time than Endurocross, but yeah. you know the most crucial thing is being able to uh, keep your heart rate low and that high interval stuff. Cool. Well, no, yeah, I know a lot of people ask about training when it comes to the pros and stuff like that. So for you, kind of coming into one, you know, as an off race for you, it's interesting to know. I, I know it is for me and for other people. You know, kind of your thought process going into it. 
So that's kind of why I ask about that. Um, 12 ounce curls. Well, I just went through mine. So, uh, but, um, uh, we had a question in the chat room. How do you like the serious extreme NAR mud as a trials rider? And he specifically referenced Hell's Gate style crap in parentheses. So I like mud and I hate ruts. So it's a weird mixture. But I grew up without really riding in too much ruts because on a trials bike, no one's sitting down just powering through right. mud. So if it's a anything slippery and nasty without ruts, I can read the terrain and figure out and find traction. When ruts are involved, I don't know if it's my long legs or I get like a mental block in my head. I can't figure it out. But um, in California, it's kind of hard to practice with mud. Um, it rained like eight times this winter, and it really sucked in terms of play riding and riding my rut tracks and turn tracks and stuff. So it's uh, it's a little difficult to do, but luckily I can find little creeks with water in them. But um, you know, nothing really extremely muddy. Right, I understand that. I understand that. So quickly, X Games coming to Austin. Um, they're going to be there for three years. That's three, three and a half hours away from my house. I'm going to be there with the fam, but my, uh, but my daughter and I tickets. We're going to go watch. It's going to be a great time. What have you heard? Have you heard anything about, you know, this year's X Games Enduro X track? So I saw a track map 